So as we said, this morning's reading is from the book of Mark, uh, beginning at chapter 2, verse 23, page 1004 of the Church Bibles. So beginning chapter 2, verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the cornfields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some ears of corn. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And he answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priest to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you very much, Tracy. That woke you up, didn't it? Everybody who was still feeling a bit meh. Well, do keep that um, passage open. That'd be really helpful to me. As we continue uh, working our way through the Ten Commandments, Let's just pray, shall we, that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher this morning, that he would help us, help me, help us. Lord, we thank you and praise you that you remember that we are just dust in comparison to you. Thank you, Lord, that you know of what we are made because you made us. Thank you, Lord, that you know how we understand spiritual truth. It takes you working in us. So please help me in my sinfulness and weakness. Please help us all in our sinfulness and weakness to hear your voice, Lord Jesus, and to find rest in you. Amen. Well, maybe you're still feeling a bit meh. Uh, maybe that's because you didn't get very good sleep last night. I know for some of us that's true. Do you get tired? Is sleep an issue for you? Are we resting as God intends? What does it mean to rest? Are we so busy with church that we never get time to rest? Is that a problem? What are the implications for us if we don't get enough rest? Now, one of the books I found very helpful over the last few months um, is this book called Reset by David Murray, Living a Grace-Paced Life in a Burnout Culture. Uh, Mark 
Heesman gave it to me. I'm very grateful to him for giving that to me, and, and I do recommend it uh, to all of you. It's written for ministers uh, and for men, particularly. There is uh, a version for women, which I haven't read yet, um, but I hope to read that. There's a number of applications that he brings, but he begins, uh, I think, in a very helpful place. Lots of people call God creator, but live like evolutionists. It's as if life is about the survival of the fittest, rather than about living like a dependent creature, trusting our creator rather than ourselves and according to our maker's instructions. That's what David Murray, I think rightly suggests is at root, at bottom, why many of us find it difficult to rest. Because we live in a culture which emphasizes, because of the influence of evolutionary theory, that life is about survival of the fittest. It's a rat race. We're in the jungle. And if that's where we're taking our doctrine of rest from evolution as a scientific theory, it's not going to help us at all. Evolution is amoral at best. It won't help us making moral decisions about when we should stop and rest. And if we live in a society which is increasingly saturated by this theory, we shouldn't be surprised that it challenges our ability to rest. We will not live as created beings, but competitive beings. We won't live as dependent beings, but driven beings. We will live as if everything depends on us, and rather than living as embodied souls, we will be exhausted shells of people. God commands a better way, a way of resting in his son. Two points uh, this morning. Rest one day in seven because we are created for Sabbath rest. Rest one day in seven because we are created for Sabbath. This is a command of God to each and every one of us. And then secondly, Jesus Christ is Lord of the Sabbath. So rest in him by shunning legalism and doing good, which seems a contradiction, but it's not. So first of all, rest one day in seven because we were created for Sabbath rest. Just keep a finger in Mark, and let's turn back to Exodus chapter 20 as we work through the Ten Commandments, and let's see it in its original context. Uh, as I'm sure we're well aware now, it wasn't that the Israelites were rescued from Egypt because they kept the Ten Commandments. No, God carried them on eagles' wings. He rescued them out of his grace by the death of a, a lamb and, and took them through the waters of the Red Sea, which symbolize the waters of new birth for us, and then he gave them the Ten Commandments. He rescued them in order to relate to them, and then says in chapter 20, verse 8, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. One day in seven, 
the rescued people of God were to remember the Sabbath day, which means keeping it, which means not working on it. This was for everyone in the household, sons and daughters, servants and animals. Yes, even animals were not to work on the Sabbath. We, like they, are physical beings, and our bodies need time for physical restoration, as do theirs. And this Sabbath observant was to be national, included the foreigner within uh, the nation of Israel, the alien within your gates, as it's sometimes uh, translated, looking forward to the time they would be in the promised land as a nation state. Everyone was to have a day off. And why? Why is the Sabbath day to be universal amongst God's people? Well, God gives the reason in verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy, different. Uh, this is a clear command. Uh, and the pattern originates from God's creative Activity, that the Lord, the creator, the one who rescued Israel, does not lack power. He doesn't need a rest because he upholds all things by the word of his power. But he rested on the seventh day and therefore those made in his image, those rescued by him, by grace, are to rest one day in seven do we? We're made in the image of God. We're rescued by the grace of God. And we are to take rest on the Sabbath day. Is this one of the optional Ten Commandments? Would we say it, it's okay to indulge in idolatry every now and again, or theft, or murder? Why is this one different? Every now and again, oh, I, I just, I just, I haven't got time to take a day off. Anybody feel like that? I know I do. What might be the implication? Well, Reset, I think, is very, very helpful, and I'm not going to try and download the whole book. But lack of sleep is linked to genetic damage, coronary narrowing, brain tissue loss, sleep loss increases hunger, reduction in physical performance, low mood, depression, and anxiety. And of course, that can be a vicious cycle, can't it? Lack of sleep can lead to all those things. Taking a day off can really help our sleep get back to a discipline of going to bed early and waking up early rather than going to bed late and waking up early. Don Carson says this, in, uh, it's quoted in, in the book Reset, spiritual discipline obligates you to get the sleep your body needs. John Piper, adequate sleep is not a matter of staying healthy, it's a matter of staying in the ministry. In other words, exhaustion and burnout can lead to moral failure amongst ministers and worse. So good patterns of sleep can be refreshed by a day off, stopping work, switching off from work, preserving the boundaries between work and rest, which enables sleep. Over the last few months, I've, I mean, it's obvious really, isn't it? I've managed not to have my phone by my bed 
to keep it downstairs so that those last few um, half an hour or so before I go to sleep, I'm not on my phone. And sleep is a lot better. And first thing in the morning, I've, I've by God's grace, enabled to discipline myself. So the first thing I go to is not my phone, but my Bible and my notebook and commentaries, whatever it might be. Good patterns of sleep can be refreshed by a day off. Not having a day off, our sleep pattern will go completely haywire. Now, we don't want to whip ourselves on this, don't we? Those of you with young children will know how sleep is a sort of movable feast. But it's not a matter of feeling. Sleep is a matter of discipline. And most people need between seven and nine hours of sleep a night. Are we getting this? Do you, do I, take a day off from work each week to rest, to feed good habits of sleep? If not, then maybe stress builds up, anxiety becomes overwhelming. We cannot sleep. We can't switch off. And all kinds of health implications can follow, which are serious. The fourth commandment is not optional. All the commandments of the ten were capital offences in Israel. In other words, if you broke them, you were to be put to death. They were that serious. Faith in God suggests we take a day off so that we can sleep well. Psalm 3 verse 5 says, I lie down and sleep, I wake again because the Lord sustains me. Psalm 4 verse 8, I will lie down and sleep in peace for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Rest one day in seven, because we are created for Sabbath rest. But some of us may think, well, how can you believe this, John? Because I know that you don't believe in a six-day creation. And the answer is uh, Hebrews chapter 4. So um, keep a finger in Mark. We're going to get to Mark, but let's go to Hebrews chapter 4, because this brings in a New Testament perspective on the Sabbath Day, because the Sabbath day is not just the Sabbath day, according to the book of Hebrews. So let's turn to Hebrews chapter 4, and we'll pick it up in verse 3. The, the, the writer of the Hebrews is urging his readers to enter the rest of God. How? By believing in the good news of Jesus, unlike the Israelites who first heard the Ten Commandments, whose bodies littered the desert because they didn't uh, believe the gospel, didn't believe in God's word. And so, verse 4, sorry, 3, Now we who have believed, that's Christians, enter that rest, present tense, just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. So the people back then in the Old Testament who disbelieved God's word didn't enter his rest. But if we're Christians here this morning, we have already entered into his rest. And if you think that is a bit mind-bending, well, let's read on. And yet, in verse 4, sorry, end of 3, his works have been finished since the creation of the world. God rested on the seventh day. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rescued, rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Now, do pick this up with me afterwards if you'd like to. What the writer of the Hebrews seems to be saying is that in the past, God rested from his work on the seventh day. But then he said to the Israelites, you need to enter my rest by believing what I say. 
and they didn't. So they didn't enter his rest. And then if we were to read on, he goes on and says, well, there's still a rest. There was still a rest for Joshua to enter. There was still a rest for David to enter. And there's still a rest for you and me to enter. How? Verse 9. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. In other words, the seventh day is past and future. God rested from all his work. And we need to enter that rest by believing in Jesus and continuing to obey him so that we will be there in the Sabbath rest of the people of God, which is still to come. So the seventh day is the whole of human history. I take it that God had a working week and that maybe, just maybe, a different kind of time scale to ours. But the pattern that we are to follow is his. We rest one day in seven. But because the Sabbath day is still future, it means that what we do on the Sabbath day is about that future. We want to gather and encourage one another, as Hebrews says, to enter that rest and not be hardened by sin's deceitfulness, to keep going to the Sabbath rest. Which is why the day is holy, because it reminds us of where we're heading and encourages us to keep living the Christian life. It's what we're made for. Rest in Jesus Christ in the new creation. That Sabbath rest. So rest one day in seven because we were created for Sabbath rest. I'm sure there's going to be questions about that, so do grab me afterwards. But let's go to uh, Mark now, which I think is really helpful to see how Jesus understood the Sabbath. And this is our second point. Jesus Christ is Lord of the Sabbath. So rest in him. He is our rest. How do we do that? By shunning legalism and doing good. You see, some will say that because we're created for the Sabbath of heaven, there is no longer a Sabbath day. I think that's to go too far and not to read the Old Testament in the light of the new. The Apostle John refers to a Lord's Day in the beginning of Revelation, the first day of the week. But the New Testament is muted about keeping the Sabbath. Why might that be? Well, as the gospel leaves Israel, it goes to the whole world. Keeping the Sabbath day is going to be pretty complex, isn't it? Because in the Jewish nation and in the Roman Empire, the Sabbath was the Saturday. And the first day of the week was Sunday. That was a day of work. And yet that was the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. And so Christians up until AD 321 had to celebrate their Sabbath day, the Sunday, the Lord's Day, on a day of work. So they met very early in the morning or in the evening. And particularly if they were slaves, those were the only times they could have met. For 250 years, the early church celebrated the Sabbath on the day they had to work. So the Christian Sabbath was and remains complex. It has elements of rest and elements of worship centered on Christ. Christ is our rest, as he claims in Matthew chapter 11. Aren't these wonderful words? Just drink these in. Jesus says to each and every one of us, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Will we come to Jesus this morning for rest? Trust in him for rest. Not go back to the Old Testament law, the Old Testament yoke, because Jesus' yoke, his burden upon our lives is light and easy. So maybe that reveals to us where we're not trusting in Jesus Christ as our rest. Two things, I think, uh, as we apply this. Firstly, we need to shun legalism like Jesus. Shun legalism like Jesus. Look with me at Mark chapter 2, verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the cornfields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some ears of corn. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now, God's word had said, do no work on the Sabbath. But the Pharisees, in seeking to ensure that that took place, forbade threshing. And if you took some corn and rubbed it in your hands, you were threshing. Therefore, you were working and you shouldn't do that. But how does Jesus answer them? Have you never read? What David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need. In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread. I mean, that was against the laws, which, which stipulated that only priests could eat that bread. And he also gave some to his companion. Why does he talk about David? Any idea why he might talk about David? What was Jesus saying? Well, if David, the anointed king was able in this circumstance to do what God had forbidden because he was the Messiah, the anointed one, how much more the true Messiah, the Lord of the Sabbath who made up the rules of the Sabbath. So he concludes, verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man. You've got it entirely the wrong way around, Pharisees. That's why I made the Sabbath, was to bless people, not to be a burden to destroy people. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man, his title for himself, is Lord, even of the Sabbath. I'm the one who set up the Sabbath, Jesus is claiming. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I decide what is lawful on it. Not surprisingly, that didn't go down too well with the Pharisees. And we see that this is the issue that led to the Pharisees plotting to kill Jesus. So verse 4 of chapter 3, then Jesus asked them, they're in a synagogue and he's, there's, a, there's a man before them who's got a withered arm and, and he, he gets the man to stand up in plain view of everybody. And then he asked the Pharisees a question, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Jesus is angry against 
legalism, the legalism of the Pharisees here, he was deeply distressed that the laws that they made about what to do on the Sabbath day were stopping them from doing good, stopping them from saving life, and were even inspiring them to kill the Messiah, God's anointed one. I mean, how twisted can you get? But we're all like that. I remember uh, David Jackman, somebody you may know, saying on the Cornhill training course a long, long time ago, we're all natural Pharisees. And I thought, that's just a bit extreme. I think it's bang on. What does it mean for us as a church culture, not just in our families, but in our church family? And this is where I want to apply this, that we should shun legalism and do good. What does it mean? Well, it means people come before programs. Now, it's not to say that having things planned is not a good thing that promotes unity. We want to plan. But we've inherited traditions on this from big church, from Christendom model, you might say, with lots of resources. And if our traditions, our ways of doing things are more important than people, if programs, however good, are more important than people, then we're slipping into this, into legalism, in which it's more important to keep particular rules that we've made up than to love people. I've had to learn this, and I'm still learning it, so, because I'm, I'm an idealist. I love coming up with ideas. And uh, council will tell you, I'll come up with you know, 12 ideas. If we tried to put them all into practice, we'd all be dead because we'd be so exhausted, because they actually wouldn't be able to be done. I've had to learn over the last few years, cancelling things to protect people is the right thing to do. People before programmes. It's not necessarily the worst thing in the world to cancel a plan if it's loving towards people. People before programmes. Secondly, Personal before corporate. Personal before corporate. See, we, we think that the Pharisees are the bad guys, and they are, but we're kidding ourselves if we can't slip into it ourselves. We, we've got to be aware that we can all, in church life, start to create little rules, traditions that we say we must follow, even legal things. And please don't mishear me, I'm not saying that we should break the law. But relationships of love can be supported by policies and procedures. But we need to be careful that the burdens of policies and procedures don't break people. Because they can. I've seen it in church life. They're a guide to how we love one another. But they're not a replacement for love. If we try and do pastoral ministry or love for one another by the law and policies and procedures, we will break people. And I've seen it, sadly, in church life. So that's why we are people before programs, personal before corporate. <coughs> Please don't mishear me. I'm not saying that we don't need our risk assessments and our policies and our procedures. But we can become so 
caught up with those that we stop loving people. And then finally, we want to be, as a church family, joy in serving Jesus because we're resting in him before duty. See, it's right to do things sometimes because we have agreed that we should do them to push ourselves financially or emotionally or physically because we have said, yes, I'll be there on the road to, to do that. It's right to push ourselves and say, oh, I want to serve Jesus. Sometimes that's sacrificial and I don't feel like doing it, but I've agreed to do it, so I will just keep doing it. We don't always feel like leading the kids' work on a Sunday morning, do we? We don't always feel like leading the music or doing tech or preaching. Maybe it's just me that doesn't always feel like doing that. But if this becomes a sustained thing, if we don't have the rest we need to be spiritually recharged, to serve and give with joy to our brothers and sisters in Christ, whom we love, because we love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength, and we want to love our brothers and sisters as ourselves, and sometimes that's sacrificial. But if we're losing that joy, you know, you know what joy means, don't you, Jesus first, others second and yourself last. That's joy, that is joy. But if it becomes duty, if there's rules that we are keeping by force of willpower with bitterness and resentment, and we're expecting other people to do the same and starting to judge other people because, well, they're not doing those things, then we're heading towards legalism which Jesus shuns. And that's why, as a church, we have reviews of all who are serving on a, a yearly basis. We want to be fluid on our rotors. I can't resist the joke. Everybody knows the joke. I've probably said it so many times. Why is church like a helicopter? Anybody know the answer? Because if you get too close, you get sucked into the rotors. Um, we, we don't want to have this church culture in which serving on a rotor is a life sentence or at least a decade. I mean, that's the minimum. No, each year we want to know, well, are you serving out of your joy in Jesus? And if the answer is no, you need to take a rest. You need to have a break. You need to have a Sabbath. Because clearly over the last few months or years, you haven't been able to have a rest. You haven't been able to have a Sabbath to renew and refresh yourself so that you're serving out of joy for what Jesus has done and joy to serve your brothers and sisters in Christ. So joy is Jesus first, others second, yourself last. I'm trying to think of a duty sort of acronym. I don't think this works particularly well. Drudgery until it tombs you. In other words, you just die in it. You just have to force yourself to do it. And you'll end up judging everybody around you who's not doing it. Can we see how legalism can sort of sneak its way in, even from a heart that initially wanted to serve sacrificially? Now, this is, and I may be completely wrong here. This is where I think we need to be careful. Because we're a little church. 
And, I, and, I, and I'm looking out on the church and I'm thinking, and, and it's been observed by others as well, and so this may not be a valid application. I want us to talk about this. Am I right on this? I, I don't know. I, th I think I am. I'm concerned for burnout amongst a number of us in the church family. Now, that would probably include me and myself, but maybe others as well. And it may be that we need to be responsible in how we are taking Sabbath, and certainly I'm trying to make sure I don't burn out. It may be other members of the church council. And the danger in such a small church, and this has been my experience in a previous church plant, was that when somebody became totally uh, exhausted, it led to a moral failure which almost sank the church. Now, we want to be guarding against that. If reset is right in our individual lives, in our family lives, in our church family life, we need to be loving of one another enough to give each other a rest, to keep this fourth commandment. Because the implications of some of us not keeping the fourth commandment can be catastrophic for a little church as ours not least for others. Now, I'm, con I'm concerned for this. Um, I think we need to pray into this. Uh, we need to think how much do we aspire to do in the next two or three years? Um, how much can we do whilst we give each of us freedom and the ability to take that Sabbath rest, which we must do. We must rest in Christ. We must be energized and strengthened by him. So let's make sure that we love God, that we love one another, and do good in every way that we can on a Sabbath day. But we need to make sure that we're not working six days a week and then working on a Sunday because we have large responsibilities in the church family. We need to be making sure that those who are working on a Sunday cannot have a, a day off elsewhere in the week. Let's make sure that we trust in God to build Cornerstone Church, as well as other churches in Colchester. We're not in competition, are we, with other churches, but we're in cooperation. We're in the kingdom of God in Colchester. We're not wanting to make a name for ourselves, but much of his name. So let's trust in Christ. Let's rest in him. As it says, Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2, unless the Lord builds the house... Its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you raise early, rise early even, and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. And he does love us. So we can rest in him, depend on him, and give each other rest to be with him. Let's just pray. A lot of that has come out in a, an unhelpful way. Uh, forgive me for not making it as clear as I could have done. But let's be talking about this. How do we, as a church, have a culture that is personal, not corporate, joy, not duty, people, not programs? Let's pray. Lord, thank you that your word commands 
these things for our good. Please help us to put them into practice, to take rest individually, as families, and as a church, and show us the practicalities of this, Lord, so that we might serve you with joy rather than duty.